following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Um, if you would, uh, man, how am I supposed to preach after that? Like, so good. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love being able to serve with my wife, Bethany. She is fantastic. And uh, if you would, open up to John chapter 17. Uh, John is one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, two things are working against me today, so I'm going to acknowledge the elephant in the room, and hopefully in the acknowledgement of those two things, uh, you'll be patient and graceful with me. Number one is, uh, in July, I spent four weeks just watching all of my mentors uh, just deliver God's word with excellence. What a fantastic July that we had. And, and so, um, man, I, I rolled in this morning and I thought, Let's just, let's just keep doing that. Like, let's just keep bringing those guys up, right? Uh, and then number two is, there's been so many people who've come up to me, and they're like, you're preaching on John uh, chapter 17. And I'm like, I am. And they're like, I love that passage of Scripture. And I'm like, man, it'd be better if you never read that passage of Scripture, because it'd be all brand new. And they're like, I hope you do diligence with that, and I hope you do well. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm rooting for me, too, I guess. I don't know. Um, so God's going to be gracious, and he's going to work through this, and he works through broken vessels, and it's an honor to preach uh, this passage of Scripture. Every time that we start a new book, uh, I want to give you essentially um, how we got here. It's, it, it just does you a disservice to just start in a, in a chapter. So if I had my way, um, I, would, I would start at John chapter 1 and then move all the way to 17, but we just don't have three years to work with that text. Um, so let's look at, at John as a whole, and, and let's see if we can break this down a little bit. The Gospel of John is written by one of Jesus's 12 disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 23, this is the disciple that Jesus loved. And so John is part of what we would call an inner circle, if you will, of the 12 disciples. Uh, Jesus didn't play favorites, but we could make a case for James and John and Peter. And tradition calls John the fourth gospel. So you have three what is called synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have John's gospel, which is way different than the other three. Uh, in church history, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but there was a church martyr, Polycarp, in the second century, and he knew John personally. And he told another church father that John wrote the book while serving in the church of Ephesus in A.D. 85 to 95. And the reason why John's gospel is so different is because it is what we call evangelistic. And that word evangelistic is just uh, the word uh, similar to the word evangelical or evangelism. And John's whole point, John's whole message for us is that you would know the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus. He is in John chapter 1, verse 1, the word, the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was the God in the beginning. So John's message is that Jesus in the New Testament 
is the Messiah. He is God, Emmanuel, with us. You have Matthew and Mark and Luke who talk about Jesus being a servant and a king and a son of man. But John puts emphasis on the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is to be worshipped. And we look at it here in John chapter 8, and he says, this is the great I am. He writes so that humanity in sin might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The whole point is that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the bridge that we walk on to get to God the Father. You cannot reach God the Father without knowing Jesus Christ the Son personally. That's important as we start to look at the Gospel of John. That God sent his only Son, that whosoever believe in him will not uh, perish, but have everlasting and eternal life. And let me just tell you something. If you didn't grow up in church, or if you grew up in church, and you see Jesus as a condemnation, you miss John 3.17, because he's a salvation. And he loves us as his children when we come to him in faith. It's so important. All right, so how did we get to John chapter 17? Well, another good question. John 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in any gospel account. And prayer is important. We just spent an hour in the nine o'clock hour praying. Prayer is the furnace that fans the flame that we ignite to go and reach the world for Jesus. You, you don't have anything if you don't have prayer. Like You have to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and then you get to talk to God. Right, You get to communicate with him. My biological father, he's been dead for, oh my word, probably over 10 years. And man, I would do anything to be able to just have one conversation with him. And Jesus, being the bridge to our heavenly father, gives us access to talk to our heavenly father whenever we want. You go to him whenever you want. You go to him about anything. Hey God, I got this thing going on. He's like, tell me about it. Some people ask me, they're like, why do we pray if God knows everything? Because he loves hearing it from your point of view and perspective. It's like my kids, right? Tell me about your day. I know everything they did in the day. But hearing it from their perspective is totally different. All right. So Jesus in John 17 prays after giving final instructions to his disciples. This is right before he's betrayed and arrested and crucified. And in this prayer, Jesus is going to do three things. First thing, which is this week, is he's going to pray for himself. Second thing is he's going to pray for his disciples. We're going to spend two weeks on how Jesus prays for his disciples. And then we're going to spend the rest of August looking at the third thing. And he prays for all who would believe in his name. Now here's my question. Why do we call it the high priestly prayer? You get here and you look at John 17 and you say, what's the high priestly prayer about? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament, you have to have uh, the Old Testament to have the New Testament. You can write in your Bibles, I, I promise you won't, uh, lightning won't strike you down. Um, if you write on your phones that have an electronic uh, Bible on it, it's not going to work well for you. But anyway, in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, that's Exodus 28 through 29. So I would put that right next to that bold heading, Exodus chapter 28 and 29. And in those chapters in the Old Testament, God, through Moses, gives the law to Israelites. Why did God give a law to the Israelites? Two reasons. Number one, to show them how much of a sinner they really truly are. Number two, to show them how great of a God he really truly is. Jesus fulfills every aspect of that law that was given to the Israelites. Now, in that law, there was a man, his name was Aaron. 
and his descendants were chosen to be priests. And what they were going to do is they were going to intercede uh, on behalf of God for Israel before God. Of those priests, you have one, and he is called the high priest. And he comes in, the holiest of holies, which is the most sacred area of the tabernacle or the temple in Jerusalem, on one specific day called the Day of Atonement. And as he goes in, he offers a temporary sacrifice that would temporarily cover the sins of the people for that year. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine every, once a year we gather, we come into church, I'm like, okay, all of you guys are sinners, and we're going to give a blood sacrifice for everything that you have done. Well, we don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus, okay? But so what? Why is that important in the Old Testament? All this points to a day the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come and offer his life as an ultimate sacrifice, Jesus is 100% man, but at the same time, he's 100% God, and he is what is called a perfect propitiation, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You don't have to sacrifice anymore the blood of animals or the grain offerings because Jesus cleansed people who would believe in him for their sins. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross is sufficient for the entire world, but it is only efficient for those who would believe on his name in faith. Let me say that again. The blood that was shed on the cross by Jesus Christ is sufficient for the entire world. He took the whole sins of mankind on his shoulders, but it is only efficient for those who would believe in his name. All right, so Jesus is our ultimate high priest. We don't need one anymore. Well, then, Jordan, why do we have you as a pastor? Pastors and priests are two totally different things, okay? And Jesus, as the great high priest, still intercedes on our behalf to this day. He is still interceding for his people today. So this is a very complex prayer. And Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through faith. This shows how great our salvation is, how great Jesus is. And this week we're going to start with a problem. And that problem is... What Jesus addresses, what is eternal life? And how do I get it? And what does it look like? Let's go to John chapter 17, verse 1. God, I pray that you speak through me today. Help me to be clear. May you get all the praise, adoration, and glory that you so rightfully deserve. I've loved talking with you this past week. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, we doers as well. Don't let's let us hear what your, your word says. we got to live this out. Amen? Amen. All right. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. That's literal. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him, that's the son, Jesus, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life, there's the key word there, eternal life to all whom you have given him. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying first and foremost that eternal life is offered only through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is offered only through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus ends, or, or excuse me, begins in John 17 much like a pastor who prays at the end of a sermon. 
So you have John 14, 15, and 16 that are essentially Jesus' sermon, okay? And as Jesus starts to share that sermon, he gets to John 17, and he prays. And as Jesus prays, he is closing up this discourse, and that's why we have you in that Sinclair Ferguson book. And if you haven't picked that up, it's on the front page of our website. What did he say in John chapter 14, 15, and 16? Good question. He says essentially seven things to his disciples. First thing, I want to tell you who I am. I am Jesus. I'm the Messiah. John 8, I am. Number two, when I die and rise again, there will be another who will come to you. This is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will convict you of sin. He will show you things that I haven't shown you, and he will fulfill things that need to be fulfilled. Then he moves into John 15, and he says, if you can understand these things, then you abide in me. You cling to me, and I will produce fruit in you. You will see manifestations in your everyday life of what it looks like to be followers of me. Number four, when you manifest fruit, church, don't miss this. When you start to look like Jesus in your everyday life, the world will hate you for it. They'll detest you. They will look at it and they'll say, you think you're better than us. You think you got it all figured out and all together. And we as believers are like, no way, not even close, right? But if the world hates you, you got to remember that it's gonna, it hated me first. Now, he's going to break it down in 16, exactly how the Holy Spirit works a little bit more. And then he's going to say, because of the relationship that you have with me, it will produce joy. That your joy would be complete. And then when all is said and done in this evil, wicked, crazy world, I'll overcome it. And you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing opportunity to hear a prayer after those passages of scripture. Now, eternal life is offered only through Christ. Three realities of that offering. Number one, Jesus is the only gift from God the Father to us for the sacrifice of sins. Jesus calls God Father three times, Holy Father and Righteous Father. And it shows the relationship with him. Now, before we get into the fact that Jesus is a gift, my question as I'm studying this is why does Jesus call God the Father when he's also God? You ever ask that question? Well, it has a lot to do with Christ's relationship to his Father, but it helps us understand what we call the Trinity in our finite human brains. There's God the Father who sends the Son, and the Son sends the Spirit. And it is so hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's why it's called faith, because it makes sense to the extent where it makes sense, and then all of a sudden it gets confusing. Even though Christ is the eternal God incarnate, he is still a different person from the Father. As a man and as man's representative, the Son of Man, John tells us, Jesus, as a person, was dependent on the Father, and like us, he models what it looks like to look to the Father for strength, for guidance, and for wisdom. He's modeling for us how we approach our heavenly Father. The Father is, the, uh, the Father is uh, God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And it doesn't imply any inferiority here, only a difference in roles. Jesus is giving us a model to follow, and he wants us to follow showing our life of dependence and what it should look like. 
Now, pause for a second. Notice Jesus calls God Heavenly Father in his prayer. We can make a strong case here that every time you pray, you should pray to God the Father. Now, I catch myself in this all the time. I start to pray, and I'm like, Jesus? And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. It doesn't work that way. And you're like, wait, can I pray to Jesus? I don't think so. I think you pray to God the Father on behalf of the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ the Son. It's a hard concept for you to wrap your mind around. And you're going to catch yourself all week doing this. You're going to be like, Jesus, wait, hold on, Heavenly Father? Because that's what is modeled here for us in the text. And what Jesus is showing us here is great humility as a gift. Jesus' example in this prayer demonstrates that he is a gift from the Father, that you are able to talk to the Father because of the Son, because of the eternal life that you have possessed in faith. So he is a proper propitiation for our sin, just a proper sacrifice for our sin. That is a gift. When you pray, you should pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus the Son and the ability to talk to you personally because of that blood that was shed on the cross. You're going to catch this all week. You're going to hear people say, uh, Jesus, and you're going to be like, <clears throat> right? And it's going to be tough. But I don't think every time I study the Bible that you should pray to Jesus. You should pray to the Heavenly Father on behalf of Jesus. You are allowed to talk to the Heavenly Father because of the blood that was shed by the Son. We can talk about that later if you want to. Okay, number two. All humanity, because of the eternal life that is offered through Christ, has an hour just as Jesus had an hour. Look at the third part of verse one. Jesus has an hour or a time that is coming, and he is about to reveal the true glory of who? The Heavenly Father. Several times before this, Jesus' hour had not come, but now it arrives. So what? Jesus declaring that he has an hour points to the fact that humanity has an hour. Your hour is choosing whom now you will serve. You're either going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or you're going to reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about. And so here, he's pointing to the fact that I will accomplish my hour so that you can accept me in your hour. And this is the definition of humility and the elimination of pride. So you choose Christ in faith or you reject him. Now, here's the other amazing thing that Jesus reveals to us about eternal life offered through himself to the Heavenly Father is that God always gets the glory for everything. Notice Jesus is saying, I don't get any glory here. It's you that gets the glory. It's you that is going to be magnified. In the obtainment of salvation through faith in Christ, the focus to glorify isn't on giving Christ glory, but it's that God's revelation of that glory was revealed through Christ. Do you see this? It's through Christ. It's through Christ. It's through Christ constantly over and over again. Why? So that the heavenly Father will be exalted If we exalt the Heavenly Father, the only reason that we do so is because he has sent Jesus Christ to his Son, not as a condemnation, but as a salvation. And that is so important to understanding the text. Well, hold on a second, I got another question. How can Jesus, the Son, give glory to God if he's God? Wait, isn't he giving glory to himself? Let's translate that a little bit different. 
It's essentially saying, reveal your glory through me, Jesus, so that people can see and know how glorious and wonderful your son is to receive eternal life. Now, if you're listening to John's gospel account, you would have had a bad taste in your mouth about the Old Testament God of the Israelites. We read the Old Testament and we think to ourselves, this is a God of righteousness, or, or this is a God of, of, of wickedness, and, he's, and, he, and he is mean, and he's rough, and he's tough, and he's constantly like just, just consuming people. And Jesus is like, no, I want them to see how much you love them. I want them to see how much you care for them. I want them to see who you really truly are. They got it wrong. Their perception of you, God, is wrong. You love the world so much that you gave me that whosoever would believe but have eternal life. And so it's like what Philippians says. God exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue that they would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why do we confess Jesus Christ is Lord? We miss this in Philippians. We miss this. It's so that God gets the glory. We miss this. God gets the glory. But I thought I was supposed to elevate Jesus. You elevate Jesus to the point of where we are praising God that we're allowed to walk on the blood of Jesus Christ to get into a relationship with God. So eternal life is only offered through Christ. In his empathy for humanity because of their sinful condition, God gave us Jesus. And the authority of God demands that humanity make a covenant with him through faith and trust. I read this earlier this week. He says, those, that who, those who won't glorify the Son, in other words, that won't accept Jesus as Savior, cannot glorify the Father. This is the foundation for eternal life, and it begs the question, as we see Christ pray, have I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior to give God the glory in anything and everything that I do. Now, here's the hard part. As we look at verse three, what I'm dumbfounded with is, we look at Jesus, especially in our society, and we would say that that's great, Jordan. I accept Jesus as, as my Savior, and I confess that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and I get that. And, and here's what we do. Ready for this? We, we put our salvation on hold and we essentially just put it on a shelf and we're like, and when I die, I'll take that off the shelf and I'll show God my Monopoly get out of jail free card and he'll let me into the gates of heaven. That's not how salvation works. Stop. It's not how salvation works. It doesn't work like that. If you are trusting in Jesus just to have an eternal home and glory, you are missing the point of salvation here and now. Let me prove it. I'm getting really excited. I haven't preached in a while. All right, verse <laughs> three. <laughs> and this, ready for this? This is eternal life. He says it again. That's the second time Jesus said it. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know, key words, circle that, they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So you know what he's saying here? He's saying that, <clears throat> did I miss something? I didn't miss anything. He's saying that eternal life starts now. 
He's saying eternal life starts now. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it does not start when God calls me home or when I die. It starts now. How? How do I know that? Well, let's look at this for a second. Tim Keller says it like this. I love this, this quote. He says, eternal life is not finding an elixir of youth. It's not about being reunited with loved ones that we've lost. It's essence in knowing both God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. The relationship with God the Father through Christ is the source of all life here and now. And you shouldn't expect to find fullness in life with anything other than being in fellowship with them. I learn this uh, every year at sports camp. Sports camp is so fun to me. But here's what happens at sports camp, right? We get through the week, and then we get to the end of the week, and I just get so bummed out. Because I'm like, it was so fun, it was awesome. But then everybody leaves. And I come to the church on Monday, and there's nobody here. And I'm like, God, where's all the people? And he's like, they went back to the place they're supposed to be. I'm like, God, can't we just hang out together forever? He's like, yeah, we will someday. It'll be great. Even the most fun things in life have a shelf life. And here's, here's what's going on here that we miss all the time. Believers are often frustrated because we try to find fruit in otherworldly sources outside our relationship with our Heavenly Father because we think that salvation starts at eternity. What? I, I, thought, it's, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it starts later, God. And he's like, no, no, it's not referenced here. But in my Bible, uh, in the margins, I wrote the word fellowship. It's not in verse three, but it's implied. And the Greek word fellowship means partnership or sharing in common or it's, it's communion. Uh-oh, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. And fellowship with God is at the most basic level an agreement with God in all things. That's what Christ had. Now, let me ask you the question. Do you have that? Do you have that? When you wake up in the morning, do you say, God, I agree with you in all things? Or when your plans get frustrated, do you say, uh, hold on a second. We had an agreement this morning <laughs> that you would work in ways that I told you to work today. That's not how it works. Fellowship with God is at its most basic level, an agreement with God in all things. That's what Christ is doing here as he prays. He's saying, I, I am going to agree with you in all things. And he's saying, they should agree with you. This is why Jesus says in verse three, that they know you. That they know you. Well, here's my question. How do I have this Christ-like fellowship with God? What am I supposed to do? How do I have this Christ-like fellowship with God? Jesus is praying to God. He's speaking to God. He has fellowship with him. We have a desire when we hear him pray. I want to pray like that, right? I want to have that relationship. The other day, I uh, was eating uh, dinner with my daughter, and somebody came up to us, and they said, I wish I had the relationship that you have with your daughter. And I thought, okay, how would, how would she go about doing that? It's the same thing that's happening here. Number one, and I'm going to reiterate this, you have to accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. Not just moralistically. Our moralistic society says, I will accept Jesus because it puts me in a good category of people ethically, and some of you are guilty of doing that. You trust Jesus Christ because it gives you the term Christian and so that you can be called a good person when you're around people who you essentially look at 
and say, I'm better than them or I'm worse than them. I do it. And that's a problem. We have to trust Jesus Christ is our only source of eternal life. Repent from sin and see it. Mark chapter 15, verse 1 says the time is fulfilled. In other words, Jesus has come and he's died and he's rose again. And so repent and believe in the gospel. Here's the three things that we're, we're lacking. Number one, becoming a diligent student of God's word. Bethany and I were talking last night. Um, this is kind of the problem of worship leader, pastor, when they live in the same house, as we just kind of always talk church. <laughs> and I said, what a disservice it is that so many people in today's society are reading God's word and thinking that they're maturing in their relationship with God by reading his word, but they're not living out that truth in their everyday life. That's a problem. To be a diligent student of God's word means that I hear the word and I live out the word. Well, does Jesus do that, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. He quotes the Old Testament 78 times just from the Pentateuch alone. He quotes 26 times from the Old Testament. He calls them scriptures, the word and wisdom of God, and he does that while he is with the people. So he's demonstrating that he knows the word up in his mind, but then he's also demonstrating that he knows what the word looks like as he lives it out. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm not Jesus, but you're called to be like him. Okay, I'm just preaching myself today. Uh, I'm working on this. Like, I'm not, I'm not real great at this, okay? Um, but, but I'm striving to become like this. Number three, now I got to engage in a consistent relationship with God's people. This is gonna hurt. I'm just letting you know this right now. The New Testament gives over 10 times in Jesus' ministry where he's in the synagogue. There's so many times where people looked at Jesus and they say, Jesus hates church. False. Number one, Jesus doesn't hate church because he calls himself the bride of the church. Like, he calls us the bride of Christ. We're the church. He loves it. Number two, most of the time that Jesus spends is in church. And there's so many people look at it and they're like, well, I don't think Jesus liked church. Jesus loved church. He was in synagogue all the time. Now, I think he was a distraction sometimes if he were a synagogue leader. And man, he'd be a hard church member, but that's a different sermon for another day. What is a synagogue? The synagogue is a formal place for storing, reading, and instruction of the scriptures. It's like today's church. As a matter of fact, our church today is modeled a lot off the synagogue. And Jesus taught in them. He healed in them. He debated in them. I'm not saying start to debate me right now, but he debated in them. And he loved people in them. So to have Christ-like fellowship is to know God personally through Christ. To have Christ-like fellowship, number two, is to have fellowship with God by knowing his word. Number three is to spend time with the people of God. And then I love number four. It's what Jesus is doing here. He constantly prays over and over and over and over again. If you look at all the prayers of Jesus, you have a perfect model of what it looks like to pray. Look at all these times that Jesus is in prayer. He prays alone. He prays in public. He prays before meals. He prays before he makes decisions. He prays to do the Father's will. And he's the Son of God. If the Son of God had to pray, how much more do we have to pray? And we look at it and we're like, but Jordan, prayer is so boring. It's boring because your perspective is off. And because you're trying to make it something that it's not. The Bible tells us you pray without ceasing. Maybe this is why Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 4, that you should abide in me. 
And when you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Isn't that beautiful words? You pray to me and, man, I'll work in you. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Why? Because apart from me, you can't do anything. And the things that you do, God will get the glory for. Okay, so we got to wrap this up. Look at verse 4. All right. God the Father, I glorified you on earth. That's a sinless life. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is why Jesus is found as a faithful servant. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's a key doctrine right there. Before Jesus became a man, he lived eternally with God the Father. And that's a sermon for another day. Um, The key here in the prayer is that he glorified God on earth by living a sinless life. He was sanctified and set apart to accomplish the work God gave him to do. He commands us to do the exact same. You're like, I don't don't want to die on behalf of the sins for the people. You missed the point. To glorify God by saying, I am going to, again, become in communion with you, fellowship with you. That's verse 3. Partnership, sharing in common, agreement with God in all things that your ways are better than my ways. The great Jerry Bridges says it a little bit differently, but he says it like this. He says, the person who fears God seeks to live all of his or her life to the glory of God. All the activities of life should be pursued with the aim of glorifying God. So God measures our success the same way that as Jesus prays to God the Father, he is measuring his. And that's threefold. That is with obedience. We go to the next one, Jeff. I think my battery just died. That is through obedience, it is through faithfulness, and it is through righteousness. And these three questions I ask all the time as I hear Jesus pray for himself. Am I being obedient with a Christ-like obedience? Am I being faithful with a Christ-like faithfulness? Am I being righteous with a Christ-like righteousness? Now, I was thinking how I could kind of bring this home and how it would make sense. And uh, if you live in my neighborhood, I'm sorry, okay? But uh, I'm, I'm going to share a story that happened like a month ago. And it's super comical, but it's super applicable. So about a month ago, a huge tragedy hit our neighborhood. The internet went down. And oh my word, it was, it was amazing. So we live on the corner And truck after truck from a certain internet company that will remain nameless, Mediacom, came over. If you're listening, I hope you're listening, which I don't have, okay, by the way. Like, I don't, so I didn't really care. But everybody else cared. And uh, all these trucks come in, they dug huge holes in our, our, uh, in our, in our uh, yard, and it was, it was a mess. It was, it's still a mess, right? This is the best part. So this guy comes up to my house, and he knocks on my door, and he says, uh, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, um, I need to talk to you about your internet service. I was like, my internet service is good. And he's like, it is? And I was like, yeah. I said, I have four-way. I don't have Mediacom. And he's like, oh. And he's like, why don't you have Mediacom? I said, your customer service is terrible. <laughs> and he's like, I would agree. Um, and as a church, by the way, we have four-way. So anyway, so this is not a dig on any of those people. We love you. Come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, so he, he talks to me, and he's like, 
he's like, we're going to be doing work in your yard. And uh, I said, that's great. And he said, um, and, and we just want to apologize for the inconvenience of not having internet. And I'm like, I don't have internet. Like, I'm, I'm good. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, and, and I said, but you have to know, too, like, that's the city's yard. Like, if you come in past the sidewalk, that's my yard, and then we're going to have to talk, and you're going to come to know Jesus. But for right now, like, you're, you're messing with city stuff. Go for it. I don't care. Um, so anyway, long story short, I know, I'm being long. So anyway, so he says, he says okay, so we're going to do this. So it was a huge problem. Here's why I bring that up. People went nuts. Like, we don't have internet. People would drive by my house. They would come by. They'd be like, hey, did you talk to Mediacom, Jordan? Are they going to get internet up? Are they going to restore internet? I'm like, I don't know. I don't work for Mediacom. There's no Mediacom sticker on my, on my shirt. Like, I don't have the answers because I have another provider. Okay? So you go ask them if, if, if they are going to restore internet. And these guys are, like, giving me updates. I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I don't care about, I mean, I love you as a person, but I don't care. My kids, we were having a fire. They're giving them food. They're like, hey, do you want something to eat? And I'm like, just put internet up for our neighborhood. It's good. It's, this is getting ridiculous. All right, so why do I bring that up? Here's the deal. If people would get excited about the connection we have with God the Father through Jesus the Son as they do about the connection with their internet or cellular device, we would be doing great. Like, so many people talk to me, and they're like, I just don't have service right now. And here's what I tell them all the time. You totally have service, but you're talking to the wrong technician. If we would get as passionate about our relationship with God because of what Christ has done on the cross, as we do about our internet provider or our cell phone provider, we would be doing fantastic. Right? And I'm just as guilty as you are because my cell phone just stopped working like the other day. And I'm sitting there and I'm staring at it and I'm thinking to myself, practice what you preach, Pastor Jordan. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's amazing that we have a connection with you because of Jesus, the Son. And I, I hear Jesus praying in John chapter 17, verse 1, and, and 2, and 3, and 4, and 5. And I'm, I'm blown away because he's just pleading to you for himself. And it is only through Jesus that we have eternal life. It is only through Jesus that we have access to you. And God, I, I confess personally because I've missed that I can talk to you whenever I want. And I've missed, God, that eternal life starts now. If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, eternal life starts at the moment you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Make the best decision you've ever made. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that that blood covers my sins. I want to talk to you the way Jesus talks to you. I want to talk to you the way that these people talk to you. And let me assure you, if you make that decision, the Bible says you will be saved. And that your life with the Heavenly Father starts now. God, so many of us are believers. We know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And we're so caught up with the things of this world. Uh, connection goes out in our phone or with our internet provider and we just, we go off the rails. 
Or maybe life throws some stuff at us. We lose our job or we have hardships at our job or we have hardships within our marriages or we have hardships with our kids or we have hardships just in general. <laughs> and and we just, we're just so quick to just lose this faith that you have freely given to us and we ask for your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us to run to your word and be diligent students of your word. I pray that we would run to be in relationship with you via your people and that we would surround ourselves around the saints who who love you and, and have a desire to love you and want us to desire that same thing. I pray, God, that as we see Jesus praying, that we would pray ourselves. And help us to remember that when we put the things of the world away for a moment and we dig into the things of the word, that we're making eternal investments and we're maturing more in our relationship with you. God, help us to be found faithful like Jesus. Help us to speak to you like Jesus. Help us to be in relationship with you like Jesus. God, help us to live out this truth. I love you. I really do. I thank you for the gospel and this, these people and this church. I love doing life with them here and now and planning and participating on what will happen in the future. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 